0: There are a lot of events that we attend in our lives that become so common that even though they're uncommon events, we get used to them and we kind of forget the impact of them. So two of those events are events that all of us experience once at least, but probably several times. Number one is a wedding. I've been to 50, 60 weddings probably in my life, and there are two that are super impactful for me, my own. And my sons. Um, One summer, uh, when my wife and I got married, uh, almost all of our friends got married the same summer. So I think we went to 13 weddings in one summer. Um, And I was in some of them. And over time, you you know that each event has deep meaning and it has a ceremony. And the meaning behind a wedding is two people bonding their lives together asking the Lord's blessings on that marriage and making Christ a part of it, very special meaning. And then there's the ceremony, the processional, people walking up, the vows are exchanged, there's a sermon, there's a recessional, and then there's a party. Um, So we know the drill. But after a while, it just gets to be routine. Another event is a funeral. Funerals are more serious. And sometimes you just go as, you know, maybe it's a friend of a friend, so you didn't really know the person, but you're going there to show support. But the meaning of a funeral is important, that this person is with their Lord, and we're going to see them again, and there's comfort for the family who remains. But there's one funeral I attended about a year and a half ago that changed how I view funerals forever. And it was the same funeral as any other, the casket was rolled up front, the family followed, a blessing was spoken, Psalm 23 was read, the pastor preached a beautiful sermon. And then at the end, the pastor said that the husband of the the lady who had passed away would like to say a few words. Well, there's a couple things that were special about this. Um, Number one, this couple is a, a family that I had known since I was a little kid. And they were just incredible examples, and they were always, there. there's kinds of adults that when I was a kid, they would come up to me and ask me how I was doing and ask me about school and ask me about my events where a lot of adults would kind of dismiss children and especially when you get in the teen years, but they always sought me out and wanted to know how I was doing and were genuinely interested in me. And the thing about this is his wife was young 60s, and the older I get, the younger that is. And so it was, she was young, she wasn't sick, she went to visit her her daughter in Colorado and she never woke up, she died in her sleep. Very unexpected, nobody was ready for it, so it was kind of a big deal. And when that happens, you know, the church is usually packed and this church held a thousand people and it was probably almost full. So it wasn't that strange that this man said he wanted to say a few words, because a lot of times family will get up and say things they remember about their loved ones, but this was different. He got up there and he thanked everybody for coming, for the outpouring of support. And he said, a lot of you have asked me what you can do for me. So I'm gonna tell you what you can do for me. I want you to promise that for the next 60 days, you're gonna go into your Bible every day for 60 days, even if it's only five or 10 minutes. He went on to explain how he had been doing that for the last seven years and how he wished he had been doing it his entire life because he was able to get through the death of his spouse. He was able to get through difficulties at work. He was able to get through everything that life handed him because he felt so close to the Lord and so built up by the word that it changed his life, and he wanted that for everybody who was in the room. So when I went home from that funeral, I did exactly what he said. I made the promise, and I kept it, and for 60 days straight, I read the Bible. And he was right. When you do it, and you do it consistently, it makes a huge difference. So that funeral, which typically has a ceremony, has a meaning, and it's the same old thing, This funeral was very different, and it changed how I view it. The disciples, their entire lives and for generations previous, had always celebrated the Passover every year, and it was a special event. But it was this particular Passover that Jesus made one of the most, the most impactful meal that they would ever have, and it's an impactful meal that we get to enjoy now. It's called the Lord's supper it's often referred to as the last supper because it was the last meal he shared with his disciples the night before he died but i also like to call it the first supper because it was the first of its kind it was the first time that jesus gave us something so solemn and so serious and so beautiful for us to take into our lives so like weddings and funerals the passover has meaning And Ben referred to it a little bit. It was when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt for many years. And the way this played out is God sent Moses and he sent 10 plagues to get Pharaoh to regret that he had them in his service and promised to send them away. And the first nine plagues, he said, okay, I've had enough. Take the plague away. You guys can leave. And then he changed his mind and bring them back again. So God had the 10th plague in mind and this one was the big one. He said, this one, I want you to get ready. I want you to get ready to leave. You're gonna leave quickly because Pharaoh will let you go and he will not change his mind because I'm gonna send the angel of death to take the life of the firstborn son in every single household, whether it's Egyptian or Israelite. Everyone will lose the firstborn son in their house unless you take this lamb this one-year-old unblemished lamb and sacrifice it and paint the blood on your doorpost. And if the angel of death sees that blood on the doorpost, he will pass over your house. And that's where the word Passover comes from. So this lamb and this meal that followed, the bread, the wine, and the lamb, that followed for years, every year after that event, to remind them of God's grace in leading Israel out of Egypt. So that's the meaning behind it. The ceremony was those three things. There were words spoken around the breaking and eating of the bread. There were four cups of wine, each cup representing a part of God's promise from Exodus chapter 20. And there was also a lamb. And so this is what Jesus asked his disciples to do. Though I'm not gonna um, make you look up at the screen, I'm actually kind of lame, so you have to look at the little piece of paper that you were handed on the way in. The first verse is, Chapter 26, verse 19. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. So this was, this was common. They did the Passover every year. Jesus made a point of saying, I want to celebrate with you. He had them make arrangements and they did that. Verse 26, it's the next one printed in your bullets, and I skipped a section there. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to his disciples. Now up to this point, everything was normal. Everything was what they had anticipated and expected. This was part of the ceremony that they were used to until this moment right here. Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body. Those were not the words that they traditionally spoke at this meal. The person who was presiding, who was leading the meal, would break the bread ceremoniously after a hand washing and would hand it out and he would say, this is the bread of the affliction. Our forefathers ate this bread in the wilderness. They suffered mightily so that we would be free. And instead, Jesus said, this is my body. So they're just now just focused what is happening here? There is something very different here that's going on. And the very next thing he says, instead of what was usually said when the cup was passed, he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. There are two other accounts of this meal or at least the words that Jesus spoke. One is in Luke chapter 11 and the other one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And both of those include the words for you. This is my body given for you. This is my blood of the covenant poured out for you. And the word for isn't just just for your benefit. The word for really means this is my body given on behalf of, in place of, You, this is my blood given in place of you. And the third element of the meal was the lamb. That lamb that they sacrificed in the wilderness to get out of Egypt was for them. The angel of death passed over their house because a lamb was killed in their place and God recognized that as them trusting in his promise. In every single house on that night when the original Passover happened, there was either a dead lamb or a dead child. And it didn't matter if you were Egyptian or Israelite or a foreigner, had the angel of death pass over their house or come into their house. So this substitutionary concept of what Jesus was saying to them was really deep. But there's something very unique about this setting And this description of the Passover meal, there's no lamb. They never mention the main course. 1 Corinthians 11, Luke 11, Matthew 26, there's no mention of a lamb. But it's there. It's Jesus. Take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood given for you. I am the substitutionary lamb. I am the reason the lamb was sacrificed. I'm the reason John called me, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So when he passed out the bread and said, this is my body, it's as though he was saying, this is the bread of my affliction. I will suffer so that you will be set free from something greater than the tyranny of Pharaoh. You will be set free from all sin for all time and you will be with me forever. And he's kind of thinking, did you guys really think that this cute little woolly lamb saved your life? It was me. It was always me. So it brings us to the biggest question to help us understand what Christianity is all about. Why did Jesus die? Was it to show his love? Sort of, but let's explain that a little bit. A young couple is walking along the river and they're deeply in love. And the young man wants to show the young lady how much he loves her and he says, he gets down on one knee and he holds her hand and he says, I want to demonstrate for you how deep my love is for you. And he stands up and he hurls himself into the river and he drowns. So he died for her. That's passion, that's love. It's actually a really twisted version of Romeo and Juliet. It's irrational. You're not showing love when you do something irrational like that it's twisted to think that you're showing love for somebody by showing them to what lengths you would go. Now, the story were different. If she slipped on a rock and fell in the river and the only way to save her was for him to jump in and save her and then he drowned in the process, now something has been accomplished. Now he showed love by giving his life and her place. That's different. And that's what Jesus did. So why did Jesus die? Just to show love? I'm going to sacrifice myself just to show love? Either what Jesus did is completely irrational or it's the only way he could have saved us. What that young man did in the river was the only way he could have saved her and therefore it had to be done. What Jesus did for us was the only way. So If Christianity is just one of many ways that good people find a way to get to God, then it's irrational. But if Christianity is the only way, then it's incredibly special. And what Jesus did was incredibly impactful and it's something that changes our lives. What the Holy Spirit does in the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper is connected to God's command connected to God's love, the Holy Spirit takes the message of the cross and he uses it to shape our hearts. And he helps us to understand what is the depth of the meaning of God's love in Jesus' death, in Jesus' crucifixion. When Jesus instituted the supper, it was not based on his birth. It wasn't even for his resurrection. It was focused on his death, the central message of what Jesus did to save your life. So what are you struggling with? On Sunday, you heard Ben talk a lot about people's self-worth and all the things that they try to find to fill that hole inside them, to make people think that they're special, to make themselves feel good about themselves, whether it's money or success or a relationship, all these things that we try to make ourselves feel like we're worthy and we're special and we have something to offer the world, all of those things fail. But when you know that Jesus gave his life for you, what kind of value does that place on you? And this is an awful thought. Is there anyone in the world that you love so much that you would sacrifice your child for that person. And immediately you're like, no way. And I say the same thing, no way. There is nobody in the world I would sacrifice my child for. So I have a hard time truly understanding the depth of God's love because I wouldn't sacrifice my son for anybody. But that's what Jesus did. That's what God did. He sacrificed his child to save you. What kind of value does that put on you? How amazing are you to him? How special are you to him? If God was willing to sacrifice his son to save your life. What else is going on in your life? Are you suffering? Do you have an illness that maybe people don't even know about? Do you have severe pain? Do you have a span of life left that is shorter than everybody else's? What are you suffering through? Is it emotional? Is it mental? Jesus knows what suffering is. Jesus holds your hand when you go through it. And of all the gods of all the religions, only the true God has scars on his hands. Jesus loves you deeply and promises that he's going to walk with you through your suffering. And just as he rose on the third day, somehow he's going to make that suffering into something beautiful, even if you have to wait to have, until you get to heaven to see it. Are you anxious? Do you worry about things? Are you sad? Are you depressed? Jesus instituted this supper on the night that the disciples would begin to face the most anxious time in their entire lives. That same night, Jesus would be arrested. They would run for their lives. They would lock themselves in a room. They would see him die. They would be afraid for their own lives and wonder if everything that Jesus taught them was fake and if they had just wasted the last three years of their lives. And they were terrified. And it was on that night that Jesus gave them something substantial to grab onto, to feel, to touch, to taste. To connect them to what Jesus was about to do for them. To connect them to the very thing that would build and strengthen and hone their faith for the rest of their lives. And the very thing that does the same thing for us. Jesus instituted this supper as something incredibly special. And the very last verse on the page, he says, I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. There's two more words that show up in the Luke 11 and the 1 Corinthians 11 account. And those words are in remembrance do this in remembrance of me. He attaches this incredible meal to his death, the source of our salvation. And I am going to nerd out on you. In the book, The Lord of the Rings, the best book ever, towards the end, one of the hobbits named Pippin is just about to be destroyed as the witch king comes into the castle, comes into the town, and is about to destroy everybody. And just about the moment when he thought it was all over and it was going to be done, he hears in the distance a horn blast. And that was the army of Rohan. And the king of Rohan comes down with all the horses, and they give their lives to save all of the people in that town. And Pippin lived. And later he said, Every time I hear the sound of a horn, it brings tears to my eyes because it was a living memory of his salvation. The Lord's Supper is that. It's a living memory of what Jesus gave to save your life. So when you take part in that meal, don't let it turn into a routine, something we do every month. These are the words that are spoken. This is the cup. This is what we do. I want you to remember the sound of the trumpet blast in the background as though Jesus were saying to you, It is finished. And the Lord's Supper is when God invites you to the table to sit down with him and join him as he looks in your eyes and reminds you that you're the most special person in the world to him. He gave his life for you and he loves you deeply. He's gonna hold your hand through suffering. He's gonna be there with you to the very end. And the next time you have the Lord's Supper with Jesus, it'll be in heaven with him because of what he did. This is the first supper of its kind. And may every time you enjoy it and take it and take part in it, remember the connection you have with all these people here who God loved enough to save. Remember your connection with every Christian throughout the world who takes part in this meal. And remember that connection to Christ himself. Let the Holy Spirit do his deep work in you every time you take the supper as it's connected to his word and his promises. Let us pray. Holy Spirit, take this opportunity this evening to let your words of scripture sink into our hearts and form our hearts and change our lives. Help us to understand deeply and believe truly that we mean that much to you. We mean everything to you. You gave your life to save ours and now you give us an opportunity to receive forgiveness through this meal, to be reminded of everything you did to accomplish our salvation to remind us how deeply loved we are no matter what we're going through in life. Only you love us that much. Only you can fill that hole that in, in any place in life that we're lacking. And you did all of this truly for us personally. We thank you for this wonderful gift and God's blessings to all of us as we celebrate tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday of everything you did to save our lives. In your name, amen.